1: And we're extra time!
0: Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. The Japanese tennis player Naomi Osaka caused a stir last week when she said she would not be answering any questions from the media. She said the nature of media conferences put undue burden on players' mental health. After being fined for missing her first post-match media session at the French Open, she was threatened with expulsion by Grand Slam organisers. Osaka then decided to withdraw from the tournament, explaining she had been suffering from depression for almost three years. The Former New Zealand tennis star Belinda Cordwell believes if Osaka hadn't raised the issue on the eve of the tournament, organisers could have taken a different approach.
1: I think the unfortunate situation here is the timing. So we have a couple of issues here. Naomi Osaka has talked about her mental health battles and that everybody can respect that and everyone needs to. And that's something that I guess she needs to go away and work on and sort out with her team. So that's one issue. But by the same token, she's deciding to enter a tournament where the rules are very, very clear. So it looks from a distance like she's trying to have a cake and eat it as well. And I think in terms of the ITF and the French Federation, this is something that happened upon them a week or two ago. And maybe going forward, there would be some level of discussion around all the organisations and the players and the media to see how everybody can progress forward to you know, safeguard mental wellbeing of players and ask appropriate questions and, and not be too invasive when they are in the press match conferences. But at the end of the day, I think that Osaka was just, in terms of her timing and her message that she was trying to get across was a little awry.
2: Other professionals, Rafa Nadal, Ashbarti, for instance, have said, look, these press conferences are fair enough. Is that your position as an ex-pro? Look,
1: I do agree with them. I like the fact that they came out and said they respected Osaka's uh, decision to make her up their own mind. I agree with them. It's part and parcel of the job. We all have aspects of our job that we may not particularly love, but we do it because that's our job. And I think the disappointing thing from my perspective, reading from afar, is that these types of players have huge amount of support around them. They have a great network of people there in a the circle who are offering advice and support. And I'm quite disappointed to think that her support networks were of such that they allowed her to step into this really sort of dangerous territory, if you like, on the eve of a Grand Slam. And I think that she could have been managed differently by her team so that we could have avoided this.
2: How did you find the tough questions back in the day?
1: Look, I mean, it is a little bit confronting. And, you know, no one's got massive self-confidence, particularly if you're not playing very well that week. And you do feel vaguely vulnerable, but I think that, you know, on the flip side, it's a a matter of building up your own self-esteem and recognising that you can only control what you can control. And if people ask you questions, you can't control what they ask, but you can control how you react. And how you answer. And I think it's building up that level of self-confidence and esteem that would stand Osaka in
0: good stead. That's Belinda Cordwell talking to Max Toll. The former world champion squash player Dame Susan DeVoy admits she dreaded media conferences during her 11-year career and she imagines it's, not got, uh, it's now got even tougher for athletes. Dame Susan believes what Osaka has done has presented the bigger picture of players' well-being and the media's role in that.
3: Well I don't know the full story around Naomi and there's probably much more that we don't know we're only hearing in the media but I think we've got to start looking well, taking better care of um, athletes all all around our well-being and I think the press conference is just one example but perhaps it's time to look at this very outdated method of questioning and and make some really good changes because press conference and with social media and everything generally athletes these days are not Actually, being themselves for the fear of. I mean, if you lose in your press conference, it's a terrible feeling. Uh, if you win, it's you know, it's not just good enough to make the performance. It's always like there's some probing that the the actual stories, not just good enough. I mean, I just listened to Devin Conway. What an articulate, wonderful story about a test debut. You know, uh, and that's what conversations with media, with journalists and sports people should all about. But it's it seems to have changed and putting a lot of pressure on athletes.
1: And conversely, there are those out there that say to be a top athlete, you need to have that mental rigor. That's part of being able to succeed, and that you you know it's what sets top athletes apart.
3: Almost oh, definitely, I mean, I would say that you know thirty percent mental and twenty percent physical. When you get to the very top, at least you know and you've got to maintain that uh, that simple, simply put, mental toughness. But being mentally tough on a sporting you know field or or on a court or whatever doesn't necessarily always translate into your mental health and well-being. You know, I mean, she's talking about getting anxious. I mean, I felt, you know, probably people didn't know that nerves nearly killed me when I was, um, you know, competing for nearly 10 years at the top. Um, that relief when I finally retired, I'm not having to go through that anymore. It was something that, you know, I carried for, you know, was a burden for me the whole of my sporting career. And, you know, a sporting career should never be a burden. It should, as well as hard work, be. You know, a joy and a pleasure.
0: Dame Susan DeVoy talking on Morning Report. We're joined on Extra Time by another former top New Zealand tennis player, Julie Richardson, who was also on the tour around the same time as Belinda Cordwell. She picked up seven career doubles titles. She's now doing some coaching in the US. And our regular RNZ columnist, Hamish Bidwell. Uh, Julie, nice to have you on from the the United States. I I suppose there's uh, sort of two issues here. One about mental health that we all have uh, some sympathies for, but also the the dig at the media for uh, their role in it, perhaps.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, we've all been part of this, and um, I, I think the the there are two separate issues. Is the, her mental issue, Naomi's mental issue, which is definitely has to be taken seriously. Um, and then there's the the media issue, and I think a lot of the questions not a lot of the questions, but I've watched some of the press conferences, and at the beginning the the questions are all good, and then you know they then they can sometimes dive into an area you don't really want to respond to. Um, and and I think that there needs to be more training or more um, things put in place where only certain questions can be asked. You, you know, nobody really wants to go up there and be told, oh, you didn't play very well today, or your your backhand was terrible, or you know, something like that. And I, I think the media could be a little bit kinder to the players. And saying that. The mental health issue is a is a different, totally different issue and has to be taken seriously. That's something that every family or people walking down the street has. I, I agree with Belinda as to the timing of this. For her to pull out and, and go through this on, on the eve of the French Open is not terribly good. If she's having mental health issues, you'd think she wouldn't be playing at all.
2: Look, I'm torn in several different directions by this whole thing. when um, I wrote last week that. I don't think anything would be lost if press conferences across the board uh, went by the wayside. Um, I don't believe a lot said that's particularly relevant. I think you know we we need quotes and all that kind of stuff as written media. But you know you can just take those from players' social media. You can take them from the the stuff that's burbled into microphones from the you know the rights-holding media afterwards. Um, my experience as a member of the written press is that questions are pretty timid. Um, you might get savaged in print afterwards someone might turn around and have a go at you but they're not going to in front of you because people are shy and there's also a power imbalance because the athlete earns more it's better looking it's better at everything than you are so you're very polite to them you ask these sort of you tiptoe around things they say what they say and then if you want to give them a kicking if I could put it that way you'll do it in print you won't subject them to that in front of people or on a stage equally like if I'm a soccer and I'm coming into a room with you know, twenty cameras and a hundred journalists, and that—that's pretty lonely and you know miserable experience. I, I'm a little bit. I respect her situation. I feel for her, but sometimes athletes across various sports get themselves into a bit of a pickle, and they're in some. There's an uncomfortable situation. Scrutiny's being put on them, and they play the mental health card. It's a bit of a get out of jail. People go, oh shit. A better step back from this let's get us rally round. let's support and I, I'd hate to think there was any cynicism on the way she's played this card this time but I yeah I, I'm torn because I, I sympathize with her I, I think from a media point of view these things are a bit of a waste of time but you know people have paid a lot of money to put her behind you know the sponsors have paid a lot of money for the backdrop to be behind her at a press conference their sponsors their logos do you know what I mean and And I can see from the French Open organisers' point of view, they need the bang for their buck. And that's putting a face in front of that backdrop and then being broadcast around the world. And if she's not going to be prepared to sit there, then she's creating a bit of an issue.
4: I I, I totally agree with that. I mean, the real issue is Osaka does not perform well in play. So she, she hasn't in the past. And so she goes to the French Open, she goes to a press conference, Straight away is going to be, you know, how do you feel like you can do in play? It's, it's it's going to produce a negative input into her mind because she's going to be already asked, you know, how are you going to do on play? You haven't performed well on play. You've done well on other surfaces, for example, and um, you know, and it's going to put, it's going to set her off right at the beginning. And if there is that a mental health issue for her, I don't know. We don't. Nobody walks into the shoes, but. Um, as I said, which I really believe if she her mental health issues are that bad, she shouldn't be playing tennis because it's a very tough mental sport, and um you know she should be getting help. It's not just French open, it's other tournaments that are you know happening, gonna be happening, Wimbledon all that coming up.
0: Julie, do you think uh, it's become more difficult for players and the questions that uh, go their way because of the immediacy of all the media now and, you know, it's it's uh, social media, it's more almost instantaneous and they're looking for headlines and, and those sorts of things. Um, do you think perhaps that um, this pressure on players is worse than it, it used to be in your time?
4: No, I don't. I don't think it is worse. I think it's actually better because the players have a format. They have social media where they can speak out. If you look at McEnroe and and Connors and all those guys, they they used to get attacked like crazy, front page of the newspaper all the time, especially in England. Um, way worse than what it is now. And now the players have an outlet. They can they can go to social media themselves and say A, B, C, and D, and you can read it. We didn't have that outlet when we were playing. I mean,
2: no outlet whatsoever. I don't think that this is any worse than it was, to go back to your point before. I just think that athletes have always endured this, but they're talking about it now. You talked about, we listened to Susan DeVoy earlier. She experienced this throughout her career, but it wasn't talked about. And the fact that it is talked about now means I think you get a much more sympathetic hearing from journalists in a press conference situation they're trying to take the adversarial nature out of these things so to go back to what Julie was saying I think it is actually better for athletes now than it was before because we're having this conversation these things are being brought to light which always existed but weren't talked about mental health
4: was something that was just nobody talked about in the U.S. mental health is a big thing I don't know how it is in New Zealand but it's it's really taken seriously here and um you know, and is she using that as an excuse, or does she have mental health issues? I don't know. We don't know.
0: So, Julie, do you know there is a something to be learned from for, from journalists here? Um, uh, not well, not just here, but but around the world, and the way they, you know, um, attend these and ask questions at media conferences.
4: Well, I, I think there's some journalists. You know, there's just like most professions, there's 80% good journalists, and there's maybe 20% that are not. I'm just coming up with a number. And the problem that I've seen when I've watched the actual press conferences is that you tend to get, you know, one or two silly questions in a press conference that just turns a player off. It's just like, really, you expect me to answer that? You know, just is totally left wing. And I think those are the kind of things like the questions that are just not relevant or they're focused on somebody's relationship or some other issue those things have to, should try and be stopped somehow.
0: Do you feel, um, though, that, I mean, especially in a, in a Grand Slam tournament, you're playing so many matches that perhaps, you know, is, is there a need after every every match to uh, to attend a media conference? Um, but, but more importantly, I suppose, when a big name loses, that's when people want to sort of perhaps know why.
4: Well, absolutely, and they have a right, because how much are these players getting paid? They're getting paid a lot of money. They have a responsibility. If they're going to play the tournament, they have a responsibility to the public. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's they're getting paid a lot of money. That's part of the job.
0: Hamish, hey, would you agree with me perhaps, and, and you mentioned this earlier, I've not found uh, it to be a, a, a major issue at media conferences in New Zealand. I, I think you know the questions are... Quite quite productive, and any analysis I think is more directed towards a coach perhaps than than the players on the field. I mean, what's your feeling?
2: Yeah, I would say that ninety percent of people in the sports media in New Zealand are fans first and journalists second, and their goal is to be liked or to create a collegial thing with the athlete they, they love the athlete and they want the athlete to like them and I, I find that weird myself but that's cool um and so the questions are real patsy ones and and you as Julie mentioned get some silly ones you know like relationships or you know what candies do you like and all that kind of malarkey like give me a break let's talk about the actual sport but if you want to talk about rugby and get into some in-depth issues in this in the New Zealand case then our coaches are absolutely the best. You know, And we were very lucky for a long time to have Steve Hanson here. And I can think back to the British and Irish Lions series of 2017. Anytime Warren Gatlin was up as Lions coach and Hanson was up as All Blacks coach, that was compelling. You know, there was a bit of sparring between them and the media. There was a bit of needle, you know, there was a bit of megaphone diplomacy between the two of them. And that was good stuff. But they were experienced campaigners, grown men, robust, who knew their method, had their message and wanted to convey that. And they were far more equipped to do that than any athlete is because of their age and their experience
4: i think the age thing is a big thing i watched Naomi Osaka when she first won Indian Wells a couple of years ago and um she could barely speak um i, I was surprised she could you know they're doing the interview at the end of the match after she won the tournament and i don't know why but she struggled to speak at all um so I think there needs to be more, perhaps more training. I was thinking, at the time when I was watching that, I thought, wow, this is how she speaks. The WTA or the Women's Tennis Association should be doing some training on plate with players on how to answer questions and how to talk and how to come across to the media, because in essence, you're
2: selling the sport. So oh, I, that's I a really good point. You have area area to know your athlete, true. don't you? As as the people who are yeah. there in the in their team, or in the New Zealand context, if it's a team sport like rugby, we have Pacifica players, some of whom are very shy, they're very articulate, but, you know, you put them in front of a lot of people, they're shy. You put them in a one-on-one situation with just a journalist, no microphone, just a tape recorder sitting there subtly, they'll talk to you very well and they'll gain some confidence and they'll be able to front the cameras and front the scrums and maybe do a press conference, but you have to educate people and help them and, and, and give them the skills to be able to speak to a public audience.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's huge. I really do. They, they, because here they are, they know how to play tennis, but have they learned how to speak, Have they learned how to speak in front of a crowd, do they know how to answer certain questions, you know, whatever it is, they need to be trained.
0: People tell me, though, members of the public, friends, that we're interested in watching them play. You know, they're, they're there to play, they're not there to talk. How do you respond to that, though?
4: That's, i totally disagree with that. It's a, it's entertainment. It's a form of entertainment. People used to love John McEnroe. They loved his antics. They love listening to him talk. He's a big commentator here in the US right now. It's it, you're selling yourself. You're selling the game. You're selling yourself. You're, you know, it's it's not just the sport. People want it. They want personalities.
0: Hamish, you just touched on it earlier, and uh, that uh, the way that. Um sports now are controlling the media in some way especially for their sports um is that the way what that we're going you know um that they provide the interviews and that sort of thing it's their people that are that are running the show and uh, I know I've been to a couple of media conferences where the head of media is coming around asking the journalist what you're going to ask, and things like that. I mean Is there going to be a shift perhaps that um, sports administrators in some way will take more control of uh, how their uh, athletes um, speak to the media
2: we've had that for a long, long time, Barry. you know you turn up on a day to do a, a sport and Someone's put up and it's not the person you want to talk to. It's not a person particularly relevant. It's probably often not a person who's a particularly good talker, but they are the person who's been put up this day. And you need the content and you'll interview that person and you'll like it. And if you don't like it, then you can get lost. Well,
4: I, can, I can tell you one thing. When I was in New Zealand and I just got back a couple of months ago, um, whenever there was good news about the, the you know COVID-19 Aden is the Prime Minister Aden is on the T V. <laughs> That's a great observation. And this is just this is true. I mean she's on yes. there the moment there's bad news you got that other guy, I don't forget his name, but he's coming on and he's doing the talking. She's never doing any talking negative ever. It's always somebody else who's doing the negative talking.
2: It is interesting though, Barry. I think in the heart of hearts athletes would hate would would prefer not to ever have to front the media. They find this um, a nuisance uh, we're an intrusion into their lives. We're beneath them. It's, it's, it's undignified for them. They feel that they've reached a status in their life where they shouldn't have to go through this sort of ritual. Um, and I, I wonder, in, in turn, how much fans get out of these interactions and what sort of information they're gleaning and how that's helping them connect with the athlete. Or is, as you mentioned before, is it just watching the sport that the, the, the fan likes rather than anything the athlete has to say afterwards?
4: You get, you're turning into boring. If you're just, just going to watch them play tennis, or any sport, as it is, we're taking away the line calls and all that with all this electronic calling and all that. It's made tennis even more boring because there was an element of the game, you know, a bad line call or whatever, that created some tension that the public liked.
0: That brings us to an end of Extra Time. My thanks to Julie Richardson and Hamish Bidwell. Extra Time is available every Friday afternoon. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would, that helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Barry Guy, Kakitiano.
1: Botox Cosmetic, auto Botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.